0: To the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series Heroes and Underdogs, with a new weekly topic on one or more people who did great things for God. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Who are you? Why are you here? And how do you live with power and truth and love in a world where there's so much weakness, so many lies, and so much hatred? Who are you? Why are you here? I don't mean here in this building. I mean here on this planet. Why did God put you here? And how do you live in a way that demonstrates God's power? At a particular time, especially in our nation where it seems like God's power is nowhere to be found, where so many people seem to be embracing lies, where so many people seem to not be capable of speaking truth in the midst of those lies in a way that convinces other people, especially the people that we're trying to communicate to, that we actually love them. Who are you? Why are you here? And how do you live with power and truth and love in a world where there's so much weakness, so many lies, and so much hatred? Well, today we're continuing in our series, Heroes and Underdogs, and I want to continue to look at an individual whose life is exemplary for you and for me. A man who did amazing things for God, whose writings we still enjoy to this day, thousands of years after they were written because God's power and his truth and his love were coursing through his veins. The Apostle Paul, one of my biggest heroes in the Bible, hopefully one of yours as well, is somebody who wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament, nobody else wrote as many books as him. He's responsible for shaping our theology, much of our theology about what it means to be a Christ follower, was penned by the Apostle Paul, whether he dictated it and somebody else wrote it down, which was the case in some of his letters, or whether he wrote it with his own hand, which is the case in others of his letters. Regardless of whether things were dictated or whether through his own pen, they were courtesy of the Holy Spirit, where God used the Apostle Paul's personality. God used his education. God used his experiences and used his Holy Spirit to write through him. And in a similar way, that's actually what God is doing in your life. The Bible is such a book that people could not write it if they would, would not write it if they could. It's a unique book. It's authored by God and human beings without error, without error. There's no other book on the planet that's like it. In fact, it's not just written by one human being, but by dozens of human beings over hundreds of years. There's no other book like that. If you had tried to do that, if you were try to do that today and say, let's start writing a book today and have dozens of authors over hundreds of years, try to have that book make any kind of sense. That's an experiment in ridiculousness. You're going to end up with nothing but gobbledygook. But the fact that the Bible makes sense from Genesis to Revelation is another testament to its divine authorship. And what God is in the process of doing in your life and mine is very similar to what he did with the Apostle Paul. See, God shows up on the scene, and he saves you through Jesus Christ. You give your life to Jesus as your Savior. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And then the moment you do that, you receive the deposit guaranteeing your eternal inheritance known as the Holy Spirit, where you become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and then God... In a way similar to the way he worked through the Apostle Paul, he uses your personality, he uses your education, he uses your aptitude, he uses who you are to speak through you as he's transforming you so that you become an agent of change. You're out of the salt shaker. You become an agent of change and you begin to impact your family, You begin to impact your place of work. You begin to impact your neighborhood. And I would go so far as to say, especially today, shout out a nice, loud amen if you agree with this. We need also not only our families to be changed and our places of work and our neighborhoods, but we need our nation to be transformed. Very good. Our nation needs to be transformed. And I want you to connect the dots. I want you to connect the dots. What's happening in the nation is a reflection of what's happening in our individual families and our individual lives. The nation is the accumulation of what's happening in your own life and in our own families. The sum is the whole of the parts. So we've got to stop this disconnect in the way we're looking at what's happening in the nation. We've got to connect the dots. And we have to understand that if we want the nation to change, we have to really be hungry for our own lives to change. We have to be hungry for our families to change, for our neighborhoods to change, for our churches to change. We have to start being discontent with simply coming to church. And we have to be hungry to become the church. We have to be hungry to become the church, which means people might never come into a building to experience, quote unquote, what we call church. And we refer to oftentimes a church being the building, but that's not really the understanding of what the church is. The church is the people who might go into a building, and the people who might go into a neighborhood, people might never come with you to the building, to this campus, but you can take Jesus Christ and the church to your workplace, to your family situation, into your neighborhood, and certainly into the nation. And I think one of the biggest culprits of the separation of church from state, you can find them inside a building that we refer to as a church Sunday after Sunday. We're the ones who have separated ourselves, divorced ourselves from the culture and the society in which we live. There's no passage of scripture that you can find where God actually tells us, don't speak into a situation when you know what the truth is. Every area of life, God has given us the responsibility and the authority, the responsibility and the authority, the responsibility and the authority to speak into any and every situation where the gospel applies, where the truth of God's word applies, where people are embracing lies, where people are embracing falsehood, where people are fearful and operating in weakness when they could be walking in God's power, where people are exercising hatred, where there should be love, where there should be love. And it's it's sad that we're living in a day and an age where the moment you speak truth about a situation, you can instantly be called a hater. But by the time we're done today, you will understand with even greater clarity that you cannot love people without speaking the truth to them. You cannot love God if you don't embrace the truth and tell other people the truth. In fact, in fact, the most loving thing you can do to somebody is tell them the truth when you know what it is. Don't go around telling people that you love them if you are not sharing with them the truth revealed in God's Word. The most hateful thing you can do to anybody is withhold the truth when you know what it is. So when we read in Romans that people know what the truth is and then they suppress the truth, it's no coincidence that in that very same passage, when we look at the beginning of the book of Romans, they're referred to as hating God, hating God. Because you cannot love God if you suppress the truth. You cannot love people if you're not committed to telling them what the truth is. And you actually don't even love yourself if you're not committed to applying the truth in your own life. So we are supposed to speak the truth with love. We are supposed to embrace the truth. We are supposed to communicate the truth to other people in the overflow of receiving God's truth for ourselves it's all about overflow. God changes other people's lives through us and the overflow of our lives being changed by him. So you and I, we have a lot in common with the apostle Paul because God filled him with his Holy Spirit, wrote scripture through him, wrote truth through him, communicated truth through him. And the purpose of that truth was not so he would just get fat on God's word, There's so many people in the church today who are fat on God's word. They know what God's word says. They'd be perfect candidates to be a Pharisee in the modern sense of the word. Somebody who knows God's word inside and out. You can be fat on God's word, but not be effective in helping other people digest God's word. Because you're not disseminating it. You're not sharing God's word with other people. So I hope today that we all lose a little bit of weight. I hope we all get a little bit more slender. We put on our sexy self, so to speak and we take some of that goodness that God already has revealed to us through his word, and we take the goodness of what God is about to deposit into our lives through his word, through the book of Titus, open with me to the book of Titus, and we end up being what God always intended, what God always intends, what God always will intend for each and every one of us, that we are counter-culturalists. We are not to let the culture influence us. We are to influence the culture. We are by definition a Christian is a counter-culturalist. And so what we want to do is we want to go and we want to take a look at this book Titus which was written about 60 AD about 7 or 8 years after this Paul would write 1st and 2nd Timothy as he was imprisoned awaiting for his execution. So we're taking a step back in time about seven or eight years earlier when he wrote this book to Titus. He abandoned, so it would seem, he left Titus on an island to finish what Paul and he had started as part of this movement called the church. Did you ever stop and really think that the church is a movement? It's not just an institution. It's not just what the IRS recognizes as a 501c3 nonprofit corporation where you get tax deductible receipts, at least to a certain degree. And if that's why you're giving, you don't understand. They didn't even have tax deductible options in the first century when they were selling fields and laying their possessions at the apostles' feet. You want to make sure that you're not motivated by the IRS to give. You want to make sure that you're motivated because Jesus is worthy and that's why you're giving. That's why you're giving. The church is a movement of God, where God's people are moving with him. And I'll tell you, brother, sister, we need to rediscover that truth more than ever in this nation, where the church has simply become a building, whether it's beautiful, whether it's big, whether it's small. It's become an institution. It's become a 501c3 nonprofit organization. The church always was and always will be, by design from the heart of God, a movement where he is moving. The question is, to what degree are you moving? To what degree am I moving? To what degree is this church moving with God? Because we don't have a right to change either the definition of church or the manifestation of church. We do not have the authority to do that. The fact of the matter is that God is moving and he's recruited you. And he's inviting you. He's beckoning you. He's calling you. Would you please move with me? Now you might say to yourself, I've been moving with God. I've been walking with God however many years it might be. But you know what? Maybe today is the day where you move with God even more. Maybe this is the moment that you have been waiting for and that God shaped void deep within you that can only be filled with God. Can't be filled with sex. Can't be filled with money. Can't be filled with fentanyl or heroin. Can't be filled with anything. Maybe today is the day when that God-shaped void is filled to the overflow with the Holy Spirit. And you actually will make changes based on what we're about to receive from God's Word to how you're using your time, to how you're using the resources that God has given you, and that you are so filled with the Holy Spirit that the Word of God is so clear to you that you will understand that we're not just reading about the Apostle Paul, but we're understanding that Paul is an amplified example of the Christian life. Paul, as an apostle, so you know that's exactly what an apostle is, an amplified example of what it means to be a Christ follower. That's what an apostle is. If we were to read the book of Acts in chapter 1, we would see that When they picked the replacement for the backstabber, that's how I refer to him, Judas, the backstabber. When they picked his replacement, they said, we must pick somebody who was an eyewitness to Jesus. So an apostle was somebody who had to see Jesus. And Paul says in his writings, he says, have I not seen the Lord? So Paul saw Jesus. Now you and I, we might not see Jesus as an apostle saw Jesus but we can behold Jesus through the word of Jesus, which is the Bible. Now, if you know anything about exercise and working out and you know your movie trivia, you know about this guy who came here from Austria, a very famous individual who's known for saying in one of his movies, I'll be Bach. Arnold Schwarzenegger came here when he was a teenager and became one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time. And the way he became one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time is through lifting weights. He would lift and lift and get pumped up and he would grow and he would eat protein and he would lift and he would eat protein and he would lift. And he he went on to win the Mr. Olympia title eight times, eight times, And even when you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger today compared to the other bodybuilders who are out today, and you might see guys who are bigger and look really freakish today by comparison, you have to say, man, that guy was huge. Look at that guy's chest. Look at his biceps. He got big by lifting weights and eating protein. To build your faith, lift your Bible you can have a personal encounter with the same Jesus that the apostles encountered any and every time you lift up your Bible. That's how you can have FaceTime with Jesus. And so an apostle is nothing more than an amplified example of a Christian, somebody who literally saw Jesus with their eyes. Can you imagine that? Literally heard the timber of Jesus' voice with their ears, witnessed miraculous signs and wonders at the hands of Jesus. And then their own hands were used by that same Jesus to perform signs and wonders. You read the book of Acts. It's not all of the believers performing signs and wonders. God was doing miraculous signs and wonders through the apostles. Listen, one of the great famines in our country, one of the reasons why people don't know what the Bible says is because they're not reading the Bible. They're not in the Bible. And so that's why so many lies about the Bible, so many lies about our culture are persisting and spreading like wildfire. And you will see by the time we're done with just this short passage in the book of Titus, you will see that, oh my God, literally. You will see that God has a strategy to help you live with power and truth and love. In an age where so many people are weak, where so many people have embraced lies and nothing's going to change unless you change and become the change agent, and where so many people are hating, you can love people even when you disagree and you're setting the record straight. Verse 1 of Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, before the beginning of time, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, reference to Jesus. People will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God and Jesus isn't God. Well, he's saying, God, my Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Connect the dots. God our Savior, Christ Jesus our Savior, Jesus is in fact God. It says it all throughout the Bible. Verse five, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, what's an elder? In the same way that a, an, an apostle is an amplified version of a Christian, an elder is a role model of maturity. An elder is a role model of maturity. Not a super Christian, but a role model of maturity. It's an example of what does it look like to be a real mature disciple of Jesus Christ. Those who are real, mature disciples of Jesus get the opportunity to serve as an elder in the movement of God in a local church. That's how that works. It's not that an elder is ordained with some kind of special innate, supernatural ability to follow God. It said an elder is somebody who through the trials of life and through the lifting of God's word and the application of God's word matures to the point where they can be an example that others can hold up and say, look, this is what it looks like when you're a mature follower of Jesus. And at this point, anybody who is an elder, you're shrinking in your seat. You're saying, man, don't look at me. Because I've got so much to grow in, I've got so far to grow, and that's a good response. That's a godly response. It's a humble response. But in the same way that an apostle is an amplified example of the way a Christian should live on a grand scale, an elder is a role model of how every Christian should live and what you should aspire to as a follower of Jesus. And Paul is saying, listen, this movement needs fuel. Every movement needs fuel. The movement needs leaders. Haven't you noticed we're in a leadership crisis in our country? We're in a leadership crisis not only in the political realm, and you're going to see that over the next 24 months once again. We're also in a leadership crisis in the church, in the body of Christ. Because we have allowed ourselves to be backed into a corner. We've allowed ourselves to be cast as haters because we are committed to communicating the truth. And I would suggest also that we could combat some of that stereotyping that's been taking place if we would learn how to speak the truth while communicating with love. If the people that we're communicating the truth to don't know that they're loved then there's something wrong in the way we're delivering the goods. Does that make sense? Something wrong in the way we're delivering the goods. supposed to speak the truth in love. So how about it? Let's have a revival. Let's have a spiritual awakening. Come on now, let's have a spiritual awakening. I'm up for it, aren't you? Let's just say, Lord, teach me, instruct me. Don't let me be the same as I was last week. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. I want to be a salt shaker. I want to be somebody who's counterculturalist. I want to be somebody who affects the culture. I don't want the culture to affect me anymore. It doesn't matter if my Christian brother or sister thinks this is okay or that's okay or was lukewarm. As for me in my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Why don't you be the trailblazer? Why don't you be the representative of Jesus Christ that the world is waiting to see at this particular dark time in history? How about it? How about if you do that? How about if you hear God's voice you hear God's call and you say, that's it. That's for me. How about if right now, wherever you are, you just stand up and say, that's me. I want to be that person. Here's your altar call. Mid-sentence right here, right now. How about if that's you? I'm the person. Lord, I'm the person you've been looking for. Lord, I'm the person. I'm not going to wait for somebody else. How dare me, forgive me for waiting for a president or a political party to be the solution that you are Jesus. You're the Savior not the Republican Party. You're the savior, not the Democrat Party. You know, let's bring socialism into the equation. Let's make socialism the solution. You know, giving, presenting socialism as the solution for what's happening in the United States of America, that's like giving a pornography addict heroin to cure them of their addiction. Jesus is the savior. And the way Jesus saves is by using people just like you, people just like me. Average, ordinary people with a past, with a history, who have doubted, who have not believed, who have sinned in their past, but Jesus in their present and Jesus in the future, who've been forgiven of all that stuff, imperfect people, people with all kinds of quirks and weirdness, he uses people just like you, just like me, and if you don't believe it, do a little bit of a study on the Apostle Paul who was a murderer and a blasphemer and a violent man He is the guy who was raised up as an apostle. So if God could do that through him, (laughs) you don't have an excuse. That excuse that you've been using to give 90% of yourself to Jesus no longer exists. That haunting voice that you hear telling yourself, well, I can't really, nope, all that is is a voice. God's voice is bigger than that. The same voice that told the apostles, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He's the one that's calling you. You might say to yourself, I don't have Bible college, I don't have seminary, but you've got God's word and you can lift your Bible and build your faith and encounter Jesus day after day, moment by moment, and put the word of God into practice. See, this is the moment. Pastor Mike, you expect this church? <laughs> Listen, nut job, Pastor Mike, you've been talking about this for years now. I'm on my sixth year here. Do you actually believe that this church in the middle of a farming community, do you mean to tell me that the same God who called a bunch of fishermen and rejected the 6,000 religious scholars of the day, the Pharisees, that same God who called the fishermen and the tax collectors He could use people who live in a rural farming community in a place called York to change the nation. That's absolutely what I mean. Because that's not my vision. That's God's vision. How dare we, how dare we limit God and put limits on ourselves when God has not established them? Two limiting factors in your life, those that God places on you and those you place on yourself. Well, what about my friends? What about peer pressure? The only reason why you're giving into peer pressure is because you believe it. You have limited yourself, not your peers. You have limited God. God has not limited you. That same God who called fishermen is hidden in plain sight ordinary common people, people with the past, tax collectors, sinners. Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That same Jesus who called Paul, who was a murderer and a blasphemer and a violent man, <laughs> You mean he can use me? Absolutely he can use you, but I'm divorced. And your point is what? That's the unpardonable sin, but I've watched pornography. And your point is what? That Jesus didn't die on the cross for that, but I've got a foul mouth. And your point is what? that a blasphemer, the Apostle Paul, that was a lesser thing than words that might come out of your mouth, but I don't believe. Oh, and you don't understand when we read in 2 Timothy that when we're faithless, he will remain faithful. Why do we limit God by thinking that he can only move and work when our lives are perfect? If that was the case, what do you need a savior for? Go save yourself. You can't. And you might say to yourself, well, I've never been in prison. I've never done drugs. I don't curse. I grew up in a religious family. I use my money really wisely. You still need a savior. And so what Paul did with Titus is he left him on an island to replicate, to replicate his life, to replicate Titus's life, because God's goal is maturity. God's goal is maturity. He left him on Crete. And here he gives the examples. Here's the qualifications of spiritual maturity. Verse six, Titus chapter one. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife or a one woman man, the characteristic here is faithfulness. And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, in other words, manages his household well, for an overseer or an elder as God's steward must be above reproach. This means that there's no charge that can stick to that person. Charges can be made, but they don't stick. They slide off like Teflon. Must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, holy, upright, Upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, reference to the scriptures, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Wait a second, rebuke. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, meaning the legalists, the people who said you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Kind of like today we would say you gotta be baptized in order to be saved or you have to be whatever it is. You gotta to go to church so many times, you gotta do these sacraments so many times, that's how you get saved. Whatever it might be, the legalists. You can't add something to what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus said it is finished, it was finished. What was finished? He paid it all, not most of it or some of it. He paid it all. He paid it all. They must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families. Now, pay attention here. Watch. Look at what Paul is teaching here. You need to really let this sink down deep into your spiritual DNA, especially in light of what's happening in the nation today. Because if we were to somehow resurrect Paul from the dead and bring him into the country today, do you think Paul would shrink back from teaching what's in accordance with sound doctrine? Do you think Paul would not go after the lies that are being presented today? In the name of love, when there's no truth at all, Paul would go after what's happening today the same way he went after it here in 60 AD. He would be true to Jesus, which means to be true to his word, to speak the truth and to do it with love and a concern for the people who are hearing it. That's exactly what he would do. And therefore, as little Christ, as Christ followers, you're supposed to do the same thing. Get out there into your workplace and represent Jesus well get out there into the school system and represent Jesus well. You might say to yourself, well, I'm too young. Uh-uh. Nope, nope, nope. Listen, James and John, they come with their mommy to come to Jesus at one point and say, hey, can we sit at your left and your right? They were not emancipated young men. They were young enough to have their mommy coming and presenting them and their case before Jesus. You've got a young boy named Samuel in the scriptures. You've got a young boy named David. You've got a young woman named Mary, the mother of the Messiah. You are never too young to be sold out for Jesus. And don't let the culture influence how sold out you are. Let Christ influence how sold out you are. The world is full of people looking at each other. The church is filled with people, ironically, who want to be used by God, but at the same time are waiting for God to use somebody else to blaze the trail and set the standard and be the change that the world needs to see. Stop waiting for somebody else to be the change that God has called you to be. If that resonates with you, get up off your duff right now and stand up and say, thank you for speaking to me, Jesus. That is me. You're reading my mail. Go ahead, get up. Who says we have to do altar calls where we got to come forward? You stand up right where you are. You are the change that the world needs to see. You are the change. You are the change, courtesy of the Holy Spirit. We don't need a majority. You and Jesus makes a majority. Anybody ever defeat Jesus? No. Go ahead and sit down. Verse 11, they must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families. Haven't you noticed that people who are spreading lies today are upsetting other people? Propagating lies in the name of love, upsetting other people. Paul says, enough. A real Christ follower has a line in the sand. (laughs) It says, you can't cross this line. When you begin to affect the culture to such a degree that people are being upset because of your lies, because of your arrogance, because of your twisting scripture or ignoring scripture in the first place, the real Christ follower says, I'm sick and tired of the sickness and the fatigue that's taking everybody over. And I'm not going to put up with it any longer. And this is what Paul was doing as the amplified example of a Christ follower. This is what the elders are to do as mature models of what it means as an example to follow Jesus Christ. This is what you are to aspire to in your own life. It's not up to me, the pastor. It's not up to an organized institution to do it. The church is a movement of God, and God is looking for people exactly like you through whom he can move, and I think we've got a bunch of them right here. I think we've got a bunch of them right here. Yes, I have the audacity to believe, if you will believe with me, that God can change this entire nation with the people we have listening right now. I believe it. But you have to be hungry. You have to be hungry for your own transformation and for the transformation of the nation. If you're not hungry, nobody can make you hungry. You have to want it. You have to want to develop your faith. You have to want to see people's lives change. You have to care about the fact that is no different today than it was in Jesus' day, that people without Jesus go to an eternity without Jesus. And that should motivate you. It should stimulate you. It should encourage you to be the best version of yourself possible. That you will start to use your time differently. Stop wasting time. You can work harder and you can make more money. Doesn't mean you'll get the money that you lost back. But you can work hard and you can get more money. That's true. But there's nothing that you can do. To give yourself more time or to get back the time that you've already lost. Stop living as if you've got a lot of time. I'm telling you that as a cancer survivor. My mother died of cancer. My father died of cancer. I was at their bedsides when they breathed their last. Most of us go through our lives thinking we've got more time to do whatever it is. There's coming a day when you will not have any more time. And you will be able to do absolutely nothing to give yourself more time. Time is the one resource you will never get more of. And we all have the same amount. Get busy using your time. To change the culture by speaking and living the truth with love. Get out there and do it. You do it. Stop waiting for somebody else to be the best version of themselves. You be the best version of yourself and get out there and be the living, breathing, flesh and blood example of Jesus Christ in the workplace. Do it in your family. Do it in the neighborhood. You might be retired. So what? Keep doing it. You're never called to retire in your witness for Jesus Christ. Never. Paul is sold out here. They must be silenced. They're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Paul is quoting them. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Where would this sit today in today's politically correct world? Paul would be called the hater. Of course he would be called the hater because we're living in an upside down world. Paul actually is the most romantic lover you could imagine. He is passionate for God and he's passionate for the souls of people, passionate for the truth. And as an amplified example of a Christ follower, you need to be passionate for God, passionate about people's souls, passionate about the truth, and you need to do what Paul did. Paul is dispensing this advice to Titus, and this is the advice that he's saying, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to the commands of people who turn away from the truth, to the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Wow. And today in the church, we are so afraid to call something what it is. That behavior is ungodly. That behavior does not fall in line with the truth of what God's word says. And we can read the Bible all we want and be impressed with the apostle Paul. Look at this guy. He's an apostle. Look at what he's talking about in the scriptures. And we can have our quiet time and our devotions and then we can close it and we can go out into the workplace and forget he's an example. He's an amplified example of what you are supposed to do at the workplace, what you're supposed to do in your family, what you're supposed to do in the neighborhood, what you're supposed to do in the nation. People say Jesus didn't judge. Really? You're not supposed to judge. Really? So Paul's not judging in what he's saying here. Everybody's behavior is okay. Just mind your own business. Don't correct anybody. Don't rebuke anybody. Don't say anything to anybody. Truth doesn't matter. It's okay if people's households are being upset. It's okay if they're creating an uproar. It doesn't matter. After all, we're all going to get to heaven anyway. Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your ongoing sins. You can just accept Jesus and just continue to do whatever you've been doing. Continue to think what you've been thinking. None of it really matters. You know, what version of the Bible are people reading these days? None. None. Tragically, you watch on Instagram, you look at social media, and you look at the posts by most of the famous people who have huge platforms in the church. And you know what a pastor is today? Nothing more than a motivational speaker. Just reminding you that God's got pom-poms and he's just cheering you on to do nothing more than to succeed however you want to succeed. That's all it is. It's a motivational message without the truth in regard to the very first verse of Titus chapter one. Let's go back up. Paul, a servant of God. He knew who he was in the midst of where he was going. Seven or eight years from that particular point, Paul would need to remember that he was a servant of God when he was in prison. And there's difficulty and hardship coming in this country. And you need to get your act together now about who you are so that when the difficulties come, you don't question who you are. An apostle of Jesus Christ. And here's why Paul was on the scene. It's the same reason why you're here. Why are you here? He says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which is a reflection or comes as a result of, it accords with godliness. You can't be godly if you reject the truth. You can't be an elder and have those qualifications if you weren't godly because what Paul is doing as he does so masterfully under the leading of the Holy Spirit is he lays out the umbrella statement. It's all about godliness. It's all about holiness. And then he gives us examples. Elders are example of godly character, of spiritual maturity. I'm an example as an apostle and I exist. Paul knew why he was there. He knew who he was. He was a servant of God. Do you know who you are? as a servant of God? I mean, have you really settled the issue that you are not what your degree says you are or the lack of your degree might say to other people that you are or are not? You are not what your bank account says you are. You are not even who your spouse says you are or your children say you are. You might be a mother or a father. You're not a boss or subordinate or a peer. You are far more than that. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a servant of God. What does a servant do? executes the will, the desires of the one he or she is serving. And it is God's will that you know who you are and you know why you are here, the same way the Apostle Paul did. And why are you here? For the sake of faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. You are to be a salt shaker, dispensing the truth wherever you go. Dispensing the truth of God's word wherever you You go. Because people are not putting up with sound doctrine. They're spreading lies. They're ruining families. They're kicking up dust. And they're saying that by doing so, it's because they have the truth and because they're loving other people by doing what they're doing. We're living in an upside down world. And the way for the world to turn upside right is for people just like you, just like me to embrace the truth of God, to have an encounter with Jesus and multiple encounters with Jesus, to be the countercultural revolutionaries that God called you to be. I'm tired of waiting for the country to change. It's not going to change apart from you. It's not going to change apart from me. When we think about grassroots, a grassroots movement, if ever there was a grassroots movement, it's called the church We love organic. We love calling the church organic, authentic. But are we as organic and as authentic as we say that we are? I suggest that I don't think we can be if we do not embrace God's calling to be revolutionaries in a day where a spiritual revolution is exactly what this country needs. Because if you didn't notice, we're undergoing a spiritual revolution right now in this country and it's an ungodly one. It's a bad one. And I'll leave you with this thought from Titus chapter three, verses one and two, because if you keep reading the Bible, you begin to realize, wait a second, that doesn't seem to make sense. Paul understood who he was. He understood why he was on this planet to help people become godly. Titus chapter three, verse one, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready to do every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now, if you read the Bible casually, you could look at verse two, to be gentle, to be courteous to all people. Well, he just got done talking about in chapter one, quoting one of the Cretan prophets saying, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. By the way, the word rebuke means to bring to light, to expose, to reprove, or to correct. To point out something that is wrong. To judge. Yes. To judge. What? The behavior. The attitude. To judge. You mean Christians are supposed to judge? If you're going to read the Bible, if you're going to be that kind of a Christian, then yes, you have to. Because it's the truth in accordance with godliness. The objective, the bullseye, the path that God has you on the moment he forgives all of your sins is to cause your lifestyle to represent Jesus well. You have to judge beginning with yourself. Paul is actually telling Titus, rebuke people who do not embrace the truth. Rebuke them, correct them, bring it to light. Shine the light of God's word on the darkness that is to judge. And he, does, he says, don't just rebuke. He uses the word sharply. What does that mean? The word sharply in verse 13. It means severely or rigorously to be committed to a long-term way of doing things, not to grow weary, to rigorously defend the faith, to rigorously, without apology, to consistently, to passionately love God so much that you love his truth, love God so much that you love people who need to hear the truth. And you're not careful, you will mistake what Paul is saying here. You will read just Titus chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 and you would think, well, I'm supposed to be gentle and I'm supposed to be nice to everybody. And, and these two don't seem to reconcile. But when you really read the Bible, when you really have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not the made-up fantasy land Jesus, the thousands of them that exist, When you really read the Bible and you take time to, on a daily basis, digest what it's saying, you begin to realize that these aren't contradictory statements, they're complementary. What Paul is doing is rebuking and addressing the sin while doing it with gentleness and politeness and kindness and love. Jesus did it all the time. He did it with the woman caught in adultery, He did it with Peter. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Three times after Peter, so thick in the head, didn't understand that God had called him to be a fisher of men, not a fisher of fish any longer. God had called him to be a shepherd, called him out of that lifestyle that he was in. Jesus was continually rebuking sin to the point of shedding his own blood. The cross is the definitive judgment against sin. And today we live in a world where people have unfortunately mistaken the idea of pointing out any kind of a sin as being hateful and you're a hater. And we have allowed ourselves as followers of Jesus, because we're not reading our Bibles, to be painted into a corner where we actually believe it. And we have allowed ourselves to be intimidated. You know, in 1455, a guy named Johann Gutenberg created this thing called the printing press. We kind of take it for granted today because so many things are printed, and now so many things are done electronically. But back then, that was a game-changing invention, the Gutenberg printing press in 1455, where now things could be put onto papyrus or onto paper and disseminated, and people could begin to read things. And, and the Protestant Reformation came along, and then this guy who was a king named James decided 156 years after the Gutenberg printing press, he decided that he was going to commission a new translation in the modern language, modern, of the Bible. And so in 1611, the first King James Bible was printed. And because of the Gutenberg printing press, they could produce multiple copies of what otherwise would not have been available. And you know what happened when people had the Bible in their own language that they could read? Spiritual awakening began to occur. People began to understand what God's word said and they began to put it into action and it was like fresh water on parched land. Can you imagine if the Gutenberg printing press had never been created or a translation of the Bible in the modern language had never been commissioned? What's the purpose of having God's word if you can't understand it? I say this to you. What's the purpose of having God's word if you're not reading it? The reason why radical culture has redefined God in their own image is because we're now finally at the point in the United States of America, it doesn't matter that we've got so many translations of the Bible as long as nobody's reading it. As long as our messages are relegated to being motivational, you can do it, make more money, have a sexy spouse kind of messages. As long as we make God out to be a cheerleader who's just cheering us on to do our own agenda regardless of what his is, you can introduce any falsehood, any lie that you want to. And that's why our country at this particular time in history is so ripe for mass deception. And that's why so many of us have allowed people who are not reading the Bible to intimidate those of us who have the Bibles that we need to read. Because when you read even in this passage here, in the book of Titus, you understand that Paul really was a hero, and he really was an underdog speaking the truth in a day and an age when he was outnumbered. Titus was outnumbered. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. You're outnumbered, and so am I. Paul was given the Holy Spirit, and you've been given the Holy Spirit too. God called Paul to be a countercultural agent of change, a revolutionary in a day and an age when the status quo is acceptable, and God calls you to be a counterculturalist revolutionary, an agent of change, In this day and age, we we are among the minority. Get out there and read your Bible and put it into action and stop letting other people who aren't reading it intimidate you into standing in a corner. Stop apologizing for Jesus. Stop apologizing for the truth that leads to godliness because if you haven't noticed, our nation is becoming more and more ungodly. Be the change that God is calling you to be. Stop waiting for somebody else to be who God is calling you to be. Stop waiting for somebody else to stand up and speak out in what has become a sit-down, shut-up world. Get out there and make changes to your time. Get out there and make changes to your resources and how you're using them, and do it. Not tomorrow. You might not have tomorrow. Do it today. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.